Many of you were here for the special ordination service last week. It was a beautiful service, and I got to do something that I've never done before. I got to say something that I've never said before. For the first time, as a new pastor, I pronounced the benediction. Listen to how a veteran pastor speaks about the benediction. I've extended family in the Chicago area, and their longtime pastor recently retired. And in one of his last sermons, he listed a number of the things that he loved about being a pastor. Now, I didn't listen to the sermon, but this is what I'm told. His, his name, by the way, is Pastor Sunday, a great last name for a pastor. But as he preached one of his last sermons and listed those things that he loves about being a pastor, one thing topped his list. Of the many things that he loved about being a pastor, one thing topped his list. And it was the benediction. The benediction. Now, the, the benediction is the last 10 seconds of a 75-minute worship service. How, how could a longtime pastor say that that's one of the things that he most enjoyed about being a pastor? What would make him say that? So in this sermon, I want us to explore the topic of the benediction. And to do that, we'll turn to this classic benediction found in number six. And I'll ask a couple of questions. I'll ask what and who and how. What, what is a benediction? Who? Who is a be- benediction for? Who is it from? And how? How do we receive a benediction? When a pastor stands up and says, now receive the Lord's benediction, what does that mean? What does it mean to receive a benediction? Those are the questions that I want to explore with you this morning. And here's what we'll find. We'll find that the benediction is God's blessing pronounced upon his people for the strengthening of their faith. It's his blessing pronounced upon his people for the strengthening of their faith. Or to make it very personal to us, to you, to the children of God. Receive God's benediction, his blessing pronounced upon you for the strengthening and fortifying and encouraging of your faith. That's what we'll look at this morning. So, what's a benediction? Is it a churchy way of saying, that's all folks, (laughs) we're all done, you can go home now. No, it's, it's not, of course. Listen as I reread these verses. And in particular, listen for a word that's repeated three times. So kids, I'll need your help. Listen for the word. It starts with the letter B. That's my hint. And you will hear it three times. So numbers 6, 20 through, 22 through 27. Listen for what a benediction is. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. So did you catch that word? Bless. Bless. That's used three times. That's what a benediction is. A benediction is a blessing. It's a word of God's blessing pronounced over his people. So it's a good word. It's not a bad word. It's a blessing, not a curse. When a pastor gives the benediction, he's not frowning. 
He's smiling. You can hear the, the affection, the, the warmth, even in his tone of voice. Benediction means well-saying. As a word from God, a benediction has authority. It has authority. So when Troy or another pastor, when they get up and give the benediction, they don't say, hey guys, I've got a word from God. You can take it or leave it. If you like it, take it. If not, that's okay. He doesn't say that. It has authority. It's an authoritative word. It's pronounced. It's declared. Think about this. Think about how at a wedding ceremony, um, the pastor says many things, but toward the end, he'll say something like this. By the authority invested or vested in me, I pronounce you husband and wife. By the authority vested in me, I pronounce you husband and wife. And in that moment, the pastor speaks. He says something and a new reality occurs. This man and this woman now become married. They become one. In that moment, the pastor speaks and a new reality is formed. It's now a married couple. So in the same way, a benediction is a pronouncement. It's a word of authority from God declaring a new reality for the people of God. By the authority vested in me, I pronounce you blessed. By the authority vested in me, I pronounce you blessed. That's what's going on in a benediction. It's heaven's declaration of what's most true. We are, you are blessed. It could be helpful as we think about this to think about how a benediction differs from a prayer or doxology. The movement of a prayer or a doxology is from earth to heaven. From earth to heaven. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. We're, we're singing our praises to God. Or praying, come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. As people have pointed out, this is a movement from earth to heaven. We direct our praise or prayer to God who's upwards in heaven. Well, in the benediction, the movement is reversed. It's, it's a word from God to his people. From heaven, God speaks to us on earth. It's not us speaking to God in this moment. It's him speaking to us. So that's why in many traditions, the pastor will raise his hands. He'll raise his hands in some way because if you think about it, it's appropriate or fitting body language for a pronouncement, for a declaration. Before Jesus ascended into heaven, this is what we read in Luke 24. Then Jesus led the disciples out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. Lifting up his hands, he blessed them. Maybe he used this blessing from number six. We don't know. So that's what pastors will often do. Now they might, they might hold a Bible or they might hold three fingers together. All of those things are preferences or matters of Christian liberty. The point is that God's blessing is being given. It's being pronounced. It's being declared. This is also why some people will raise their hands when it comes to the benediction. People in the congregation will sometimes raise their hands above their heads or right here in front of them. It's fitting appropriate body language for receiving something. 
just like a wide receiver in the NFL. You know he's a receiver because he's, ha- he's got his hands up. Well, in the same way, the congregation, to symbolize receiving the benediction, will hold their hands up. Again, that's a matter of preference and Christian liberty. No one has to do that. The Bible doesn't say you have to do that, but you can. And it's a fitting symbolism of receiving the benediction. The point is that we're receiving it. And, I'll, and we'll come back to this later. There's something that's more important than what we actually do with our hands. And we'll see that later in the sermon. So a benediction is a blessing. And think about this with me. What, what does it mean to be blessed? What does it mean to be blessed? What, what do we have to have in order to be blessed? I am blessed if I have fill in the blank. What would that be? What at the, the core is a blessing? What is it? Well, here in these verses, we see that blessing is found in face-to-face fellowship with God. That's where blessing is found. Face-to-face fellowship or relationship with the one who made us for himself. In relationship with God, listen to what these verses say. We are blessed. We are kept or protected. We are recipients of his grace and peace. We see his face lifted up and shining upon us. So it's trying to capture what does capture this this fellowship with God face to face where he shines on us. And if you think about that image, a face shining upon us, we know what that's like. When I get home and my kids see me, they light up. They just love to see me. You all know what that's like in some way, shape, or form. So what this is saying is that the face of God lights up when he looks upon his children. His face lights up and beams upon us. He takes pleasure in us. So what is a benediction? It's God's blessing pronounced upon his people. It's a statement of how things really are, of what's true of us. We are blessed. So that's the first question, and we've already started to answer the second question. That's the question, who? Who is the benediction for? Who is it from? Well, in terms of who it's for, it's for the people of God. It's for believers and their kids. A benediction is not for a family reunion that you might have this summer. It's not for a business chamber luncheon. It's not for all sorts of things. It's for the gathered people of God. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his son saying, thus you shall bless the people of Israel. And then again in verse 27, so shall they put my name upon the people of Israel. So a benediction is for the people of God. It's for those who belong to him, who have, as verse 27 says, who have God's name upon them. And who are we as Christians? Even in the name Christian, we see who we belong to, whose we are, whose name is on us. We are Christians. God's name is on us. So the benediction is for us. That's who it's for. And who is it from? Well, we see that it's from Aaron and his sons. In the old covenant, the priests would give the benediction. And in the new covenant, we read that Jesus Christ is the great high priest of all great high priests. The Bible also tells us that in a general sense, all of God's people are priests. 
all of us, in a general sense, are priests. But, at the same time, we also read that Christ, who's the head of the church, who's the great high priest, he calls men to be pastors. And these pastors are entrusted as mediators of his word. Mediators of his authority, of his benediction to God's people. So, so that's why I pronounced the benediction for the first time last week. That's why I never said it in this context prior to last week. But don't miss, as we think about this, don't miss who the benediction is ultimately from. Who is it ultimately from? It's not ultimately from me or from Troy or from any other pastor. Look with me again at verse 27. Verse 27 says, So they shall put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. I will bless them. If our Bibles had words in bold, the I would be in bold. Maybe in italics and underlined too. I will bless them. So the benediction, the blessing is from no one less than God himself. God himself. So where does it come from? From God. And I bet that's not a profoundly new thought for, for you here this morning. A benediction comes from God. But I think in reality, we, we often live like blessing is found in other places. And I want to explore that for a few minutes together with you all. We know that blessing comes from God but we often look for blessing in other places. In our daily lives, we often believe that we need, that we desperately need something else to be blessed. I will be blessed if I have fill in the blank. What is that for you? I will be blessed if I have this or that. What might that be for you? Let me share an example from this past week. I was working one day at the Mountjoy Library, and I was trying to figure out something on my Google account, and I just couldn't figure it out. I couldn't figure out how to do it, and I'm sure that no one else can relate to, relate to me. I tried and tried and tried and got more and more frustrated. In reality, I had a meltdown right there in the library. You might not have noticed it because it was mostly inside, but right there and then, I had a meltdown. I couldn't figure something out, and I was getting more and more frustrated. Now, don't hear me saying that all frustration is wrong. Just like there is righteous anger, there's also righteous frustration. This wasn't righteous frustration. This had gone over, I had stepped over that line. And I was, my overreaction was saying, something is wrong. What's, what's going on here? Why was I getting so frustrated because I couldn't figure out something on the computer? Well, I was getting frustrated because I felt like I was wasting precious time. Okay, wh- why does that matter so much? Well, because I had more important things to do. And why did that matter so much? As I thought about it, what's, what's going on here? What am I really wanting? I think it was a mixture of getting all of these things done means that I'm succeeding. And if I don't get them, I'm... I'm in risk of failing. So I think to some extent it was this, I need success to be blessed. 
And I think that too may have been linked to other people thinking well of me. So just there in the library, I had this meltdown and it led me to think, what is going on here? In that moment, I wanted and believed that something else other than God would bless me. That's what all of us, that's what all of us do in one way or another. We turn away from God, the fount from whom all blessings flow. We turn to often good things, but broken things that can't satisfy us. For example, we might turn to relationships. I need a spouse to be blessed. Or I need a better spouse to be blessed. Or I need children or grandchildren to be blessed. Or I need my children or grandchildren to walk with the Lord in order to be blessed. On and on and on. We turn to possessions, to success, to abilities and accomplishments, to promotions, to countless things. What is it that we are turning to for blessing? To find out, look at your meltdowns. Look at your meltdowns. I'm not the only one who has meltdowns. Look at your meltdowns. Look at your angry outbursts. Look at what you're daydreaming about all the time. Look at your anxious fears. What are you worrying about again and again? What are you despairing over? All of these things, these strong emotions are leading us often to a heart that's running from God, that's turning away from God. I need, I want, I must have whatever it is to be blessed. As we think about this, it actually maps on to some of the context here in Numbers 6. Let me explain. Explain. It's, it's a humbling context as we look at this benediction. We won't read it, but the first part of this chapter, verses 1 through 21, that, those verses are about the Nazarites. The Nazarites were people who took a vow to be completely devoted to the Lord completely devoted to the Lord. It was actually a picture of what all of Israel was supposed to be like. 100% devoted to the Lord. Not 99%, not 99.9%, but completely devoted to the Lord. So that's the immediate context. And if we look at chapter 5, that shows us a test for possibly an adulterous spouse. So here in the context, we see someone who's completely devoted to God and someone who's faithless. That's the context for this benediction. And it leads us to ask the question, who are you more like? Who are you more like? Someone who's completely devoted to the Lord or someone who, like a faithless spouse, isn't? Who are we more like? Left to myself, left to myself, I know that I am not a Nazarite. Left to myself, on my own, I'm more like, much more like, the faithless, adulterous spouse. The Bible says, and it's true, that I was once dead in my sin, a child of wrath by nature. In other words, I could never have earned God's blessing. Never. I could never have earned it. Of all people, how did I receive the Lord's benediction? How was it given to me? How was it given to you? How can we receive God's blessing and not his cursing? Dustin earlier read from Jeremiah, who says, Heavens, be appalled. Be appalled. This is no light, trivial matter. 
God's people have committed two evils, forsaking him, the one from whom all blessings flow and turning to other things. It's a huge deal. And for it, we deserve God's curse. That's what we deserve. So how do we receive God's blessing? How do, we, how do people like us, of all people, how do we receive God's blessing? Well, look with me again at number six. Who, who initiates this blessing? Who initiates it? It's not Moses. It's not Aaron or his sons. Moses does not go to God saying, hey, look God, if we, if we string a few good days together, will you bless us? Or maybe not a few days, but what about one whole day? If we were really good for one whole day, would you bless us then? Moses does not go to God. Aaron and the sons and his sons do not go to God. No, God goes to them. God goes to them. God says to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, bless my people. That's what God says. He takes the initiative. So we can only receive God's blessing because he initiates And it's possible for God to bless us and not curse us, ultimately because Jesus Christ was cursed in our place. We can only be blessed because someone else bore our curse for us. So what is this truth? It's the truth that the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, the one from whom all blessings flow, he took on flesh. This Son of God became man, and was the blessed son with whom the father was pleased. So think of Christ as the perfect Nazarite, the one wholly devoted to the Lord. He walked under his father's blessing and peace and the light of his face. And what did Christ experience in his suffering? What did he experience climactically on the cross? As he hung there dying, what did he experience? He experienced the very opposite of what we just read this morning. He experienced the antithesis of God's benediction. He was not blessed. He was cursed. He was not kept. He was harmed. He didn't receive God's grace. He he received God's wrath. The light of God's face was not shining on him. It was turned away from him. This is what Christ experienced. And this is what all of us deserve. It's what we deserve, but Christ bore it for us. The faithful one, the one devoted to the Lord, was cursed for the faithless ones. He died under the Father's malediction so that we might live under the Father's benediction. If it just ended with the cross, that wouldn't be enough. Um, If Christ stayed in the grave, we would, of all people, be lost and hopeless. But it didn't end with the grave. It ended with an empty tomb and Christ rose from the grave and ascended into glory. And as we think about what happened after three days and after he ascended into heaven, what Christ is experiencing is the consummation of this benediction. There in glory, the Son of God is blessed and kept forevermore. He enjoys the grace and peace and face-to-face fellowship of God forevermore. And that means if you are in Christ, then what's true of Christ is true for you. Christ died. He rose again. He is blessed. And if you are in him, you are blessed. You can't be anything but blessed. 
Our Father will only ever bless us. He will only ever keep us. He will only ever make his face to shine upon us. He will only ever be gracious to us and give us his peace. We are in his beloved Son, the Son with whom he is well pleased. That means we are the delight of God in Christ. One pastor says it this way. He says, God's face is turned toward me in Christ. It's turned toward me, and no matter what I encounter in life, it can never, ever be turned away from me. It can never, ever be turned away from you. No matter what you encounter in life. So how do we receive the Lord's benediction? How do we receive it? Well, first and foremost, we receive it by putting our faith in Jesus Christ. That's how we receive the benediction. We trust and devote ourselves to the one who loves us and gave himself for us. That is the, is the starting place for receiving God's benediction. So you may be here this morning and you are not a Christian. You might be here and have not put your faith in Christ. You are looking for blessing in everything and in everyone but in the one from whom all blessings flow. If that's you, if that's you, we're so glad, we're so glad that you're here and that you've heard the good news of Jesus Christ. It's God's mercy to you that you are here. You can only receive the Lord's blessing and his benediction through Christ, the Son. It's not found in anyone else or in anything else. To be blessed is for the God who made you to make his face shine upon you. That's blessing. So if you haven't put your faith in Christ, acknowledge your sin. Acknowledge your sin to him. Believe that Christ is the only Savior for sinners like us. And confess your faith in him. Tell others of your new faith in him. Come to Christ today. But for all of us here this morning who are Christians... For all of us who love and delight in Christ, the Savior, how do we receive the Lord's benediction? We receive the benediction by, le- by believing, once again, that it's indeed true. We receive the benediction by believing, once again, that the light of God's face shines on me in Christ. Many of us have a sneaking suspicion that it's not true. Many of us have a sneaking suspicion that it's not true. God's face doesn't, does it really shine on me? Author Dane Ortland writes in Gentle and Lowly, he says, many of us tend to believe that God's love for us is infected with disappointment. Is that you? Many of us believe or tend to believe that God's love for us is infected with disappointment. We have a sneaking suspicion that God loves us but really doesn't like us. That God is in control of all things but that he could care less for us. That he's great but not good. And the father of lies, Satan himself, whispers in our ears, has God really said? Has God really said? Look at your circumstances. Look at how hard your life is. If God really liked you, why would this be happening? The father of lies says, How could this God like you when you sin over and over and over again? These are the lies that we hear, that we 
make up ourselves and hear from outside of us. So how do we receive the Lord's benediction? People who have weak faith like us receive it by rejecting the lies and believing the truth. We believe again and again by faith that God's face is shining upon us. We believe it. Listen to how we are blessed in Christ. We could go on forever and ever, but here's a short list. Christian, what is true of you? What's true of you in Christ? God is for you and not against you. God views you with favor, not disfavor. He turns your fa- his face toward you, not his back. You are blessed and not cursed. You are a son or daughter, not an orphan. You are under the smile of God, not his frown. You are warmly welcomed, not turned away. You are a friend of God, not his enemy. You are free. You're not a slave. You are under grace, not under law. God is with you. You are not alone. You are clean, not dirty. And scripture goes on and on and on. This is what's true of us in Christ. So this is what the benediction reminds us of every Sunday. Every Sunday. This is what's true of us. This is what's true of you in Christ. So, when you think about it, at the end of the day, what we do with our hands during the benediction really doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. Someone with his hands outstretched, that benediction could bounce right off his heart. Someone with her hands at her sides could have the benediction bounce right off her heart. At the end of the day, it's not most important what we do with our hands, but what we do with our hearts. Whether we believe by faith, once again, that this is true, that God's face shines on us, that it shines on you. So whatever you do with your hands, believe in your heart that you are blessed. Look to Christ and believe once again that God's face beams at you, his child. As we do this together, as we receive the Lord's benediction week after week after week, what do you think happens? What do you think happens? Many things happen, but one thing is this. A, a culture, an atmosphere, starts to form among God's people, and we see it here at Proclamation. We see it. I see it. What starts to form is what one pastor calls, and I love this. He says, what starts to form is a culture of benediction. A culture of benediction. What do blessed people want to do with their brothers and sisters in Christ? Well, after receiving God's benediction, they want to dish it right back out. I'm blessed. How can I bless others? So this is also what it means to receive God's benediction. To receive it at the end of the service and then to go speak a good word to a brother or sister in Christ. To, to remind a Christian brother what's true of him. To speak a good, encouraging word to your sister in Christ. We are blessed to go and be a blessing. We really need this. We need God's benediction. We speak about this service as a spiritual feast. In many ways, the benediction is like the icing on the cake. It's like dessert. Who wants to leave before dessert is served? This 10 second, 15 second part of the worship service means so much. And it means so much because we, like God's people in number six, are in the wilderness. We are bound for the promised land, but we're not there yet. God knew what his people needed. 
He knew that they would be wandering in the wilderness for another 40 years. And what does he give them? He gives them a benediction. Tell Aaron and the sons, bless my people. Can you think of how many times that happened? They're in, they were in the wilderness. We are in the wilderness, bound for the promised land. And God gives us this gift, the gift of a weekly benediction to remind us of whose we are. So we're headed for home, this heavenly home where we will behold God's face. We will experience the consummation, the final completion of what we're reading here in number six. On that day, gone will be night, gone will be suffering and sin and death, and we will enjoy the light of God's face forever, forever. So until then, we walk in this wilderness and we have what we need. God gives us a benediction, his blessing pronounced upon us for the strengthening and the fortifying of our faith. So today and every Lord's day till Christ returns, may we all receive the Lord's benediction. Amen.